Welcome, everyone. I'm Stacey Yael, founder of Visible Women. So grateful to have you here, and I'm so grateful uh, to be at Soho House, which I love very much. And we're just going to do a shout out, Kim, if you don't mind coming and joining us for a second. We're going to thank, this is Kim Kimberly Hernandez of Soho House, who's hosting us tonight. Uh, she is an event producer for Soho House New York. She's been at Soho House for five years. And um, she loves design and art and culinary and uh, activities. And she's the go-to person if you're interested in getting more involved with Soho House. Hold on. I'm just going to. Hi, everyone. Yes, it's true. Um, so Stacy and I met right here in this very room. Uh, this is always where I um, kind of work in the daytime. So this is literally my office space. And then I turn it into an event space in the nighttime. So I was like on my laptop. I had my headphones on. I was in the zone. And I was like, I felt the energy in the room. And I was like, I feel like there's someone who wants to say hi. Took my headphones off. And I was like, we just literally got into conversation right there. Introduced herself, introduced myself. And it was just like this organic connection and, and um, everything. So that's how it started out. And this is a really round circle moment for me because it's really nice to work with members in the community to put on future events for members. And hopefully, you know, you'll all become members after this event. So that's the purpose. And it's just like a really nice connection that Stacy and I have, super organic. And it's been a pleasure to work with you. So thank you so much for this and to many more. <laughs> I heard her just offer uh, some membership consulting. So um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. So I wanted to kick it off actually with a quote, and this was um, something that happened at our uh, event a few months ago and um, at Pen and Brush, a beautiful gallery, and the, uh, one of the uh, curators kicked it off with a quote, Parker, so Ode to Parker, and this is a quote from Juliana that she shared with me, so I just thought it would uh, lead us a bit into the conversation. Um, and the day came when the risk to mean to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Uh, and the author is Anais Neen. And uh, Juliana and I bonded immediately over uh, love of books, which, and uh, so it's exciting tonight to be talking about liberation through lyrics and literature. And um, Juliana is an inspirational speaker. I think you're going to see that very quickly, uh, live in action. She's a musician, an author, and the host of um, Jules Book Club. So thank you for, for being here, and uh, we're very excited. Thank you for um, having me. Okay. We met here for the first time. That's true. There's a, there's a big This is a for, the That's full true. circle moment for us as well, because this was our first meeting place. So, yeah, thank so you again. It's, it's part, part of the story, part of the story, and it continues, the ongoing story. And um, so another thing that we like to do at Visible Women is uh, talk about the kind of a media moment that might bring us together and engage in the conversation. So I'm wondering how many of us uh, watched the Rihanna halftime performance at the Super Bowl. We could, I, I, just, I figured that might be... Excuse How me, many wanna... times did we okay. rewind and watch okay. it again? <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. So I think Juliana was, when, we, when I first proposed, I said, you know what? I want to talk a little bit about Rihanna and the Super Bowl. She's like, what? <laughs> What's going on? And I said, well, I was completely taken and totally moved with that performance. I just, I don't even know what happened. It was like awe 
I, I was watching her and obviously it was apparent that she was possibly pregnant and then seeing what she did and she was up in the sky and I just thought she owned it. Okay, cut to, I was invited to a Galentine's, uh, Valentine's celebration and we got, we, it came up again because that was all a buzz about Rihanna and uh, and this was Galentine's, so it was all women at this lunch and someone was, was really, took, had a completely different take. You know, she's like, well, maybe she shouldn't have done it. You know, she was pregnant. Maybe she should have, you know, backed out of it. She couldn't really dance. You know, we went on, sort of on and on. And it was, it was, it was tricky. Okay. And by the way, I just, we are having a talking circle tonight. So there's going to be a little bit of chat up here. And then there's going to, we're going to be passing around the mic. So please, um, I'll, I'll be excited to hear what everyone is, uh, has to contribute. So whatever. I knew it was going to get spicy right away on uh, Rihanna. But uh, so... I was very shocked. I was like, wow, I thought everyone would have been like floored with this performance, but women and men went on to more conversations, really had a lot of different perspectives about it. And I shared this with Juliana and it was just like in that magical way, it really cut to um, some significant moments in your life. So um, I would love to kind of hear a little bit about how that performance landed on you and why it resonates so much with like what's, what's gone on with you. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. There are so many beautiful people in this room. You're, I'm only sweating a tiny bit because you're making me nervous. But um, no, it's really such a joy. And Rihanna, when you mentioned her to me and the, the pushback that you received, which I think we all have been a part of this conversation, right? I was like, of course. When a woman shows up in her fullness, like her actual pregnant fullness, when a woman shows up and she says, this is who I am right now without apology. I'm not going to ask your permission. I'm not even going to tell you or inform you that I'm pregnant. I'm just going to show up. Like what does the world do but go, oh my God. Like you showed us something that we've never seen before. Right? So she's, she's a creator. She has created a new space for women. She's created a new space for mothers. She's created a new imagination for the rest of us by saying, hey, look, I can be a working mom. And I'm not even going to tell you that I'm pregnant. I'm just going to show up and do my job. And so it was not a shock to me at all that the world was divided. Because this is what happens when women decide to claim the fullness of who they are. It's going to threaten those that are not full themselves. It's going to liberate those that are. And so it was such a profound moment to me. And I just applaud her and thank her. And I'm not, I'm going to make like an awkward correlation to my life. <laughs> you know, comparing my life to hers. No, no, it's not awkward. No, <laughs> but um, there was a moment for me. And I think the, I do think that the luckiest of us we'll all be faced with a moment when we have to decide whether or not we're going to show up. When we have to decide whether or not who I am right now in this particular moment is worthy of being on the stage. And is who I am presenting myself to be in this moment, um, is this in alignment with what I actually believe? And so the way that this relates to me is that I was a Christian pop singer for 11 years. So before you all run out of the room, um, <clears throat> I will just Wait, go I, ahead. That's how I felt when I first met Juliana too. I was like, I think I have to run out of the room. I don't know what to do. I know. So I sang Christian pop music. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in a family of eight. I was homeschooled. 
And all I knew was a life of religion. And I grew up having this gift of musical performance and being able to speak somewhat decently. And so I became a pop singer and a speaker. I taught women like yourself all around the world about female subjugation, about how to be loved by God was to actually be submissive to your husband. I taught them, um, I have such compassion for her, and I refer to her in the third person because it's important for me to do this, right? Um, but I taught women how to be subordinate, how to be not lesser than, because I would have said that God made this your role, right? But I was weaponizing God against being a female. And there was a moment for me as a performer when I had started, my curiosity was such that I was connecting with other people. I was getting to know other individuals. I met my first um, gay couple. And this was a very scandalous thing because I had been a teacher that this was a sin. And that's the honest truth. And I'm regretful, extremely regretful. But there was this moment where I realized that I was actually a very active participant in the oppression and in the marginalization of other people and of my own gender too, of my own children. And so there was this moment when I was on tour and oftentimes as a Christian singer though, the promoter will give you the piece of paper that has like their list of, um, of faith beliefs that you have to sign off on, saying that, yes, I believe that gay marriage is a sin. Yes, I believe that women are to be subordinate to their husbands. Yes, I believe this. So there's this whole line. And there was this one day where I'm there with my band and women such as y'all out in the crowd, and I could not do it. I could not sign it. And I knew that to put my foot in the sand, to draw my sword for the first time, to say, this is my line, I will not be a part of this any longer, was going to have very severe <laughs> consequences on my life. But it was that moment of, am I showing up in the truest version of myself? Or am I going to continue being used by a religion, being used by men, being used by the patriarchy, being used by this political religious agenda, will I be an active participant in that or will I, will I speak up and will I tell the truth? And so in that day, that was my moment of like not being physically pregnant, but being mentally and spiritually pregnant. It's like I am becoming someone new and I am no longer in alignment or in support of any kind of oppression or of any kind of manipulation or marginalization of any people group, no matter who you are. And that was the moment of change for me. And that was also on a field. I mean, you, you were about to perform. I mean, it was just kind of a weird, like the coincidences of things. Cause I was like, well, let's talk about Rihanna. And then she's like, well, and she shared this story with me and I just said, well, you know, that's, you know, we don't think about like those when you're, on stage and in front of everyone and sort of using that platform as an opportunity to actually effectuate, you know, a real chance to be a role model and a real chance to be yourself, you know? So speaking of being yourself, I, I think because we've been talking about literature and lyrics and liberation, my Instagram is, uh, 
you know, eavesdropping on me and the algorithms are eavesdropping on me. And all of a sudden I go through my Instagram feed and, uh, you know, however it catches you, because it does, a woman is standing there in front of her bookshelves and you see her starting to kind of rant. And sometimes I don't really pay attention, but I was like, wait a second. And I clicked on the volume and she's picking out her books and she's showing how she's starting to say, and I actually, I was upset because later I was like, who was that woman? You know, who's like, who who was Jane? Later found out her name is Megan. She has her own um, non-alcoholic drink company. I can tell you about her later. But so I found out later. But Megan was taking her books and she said, I'm 40 something and I'm not married. And I gave birth to my, you know, All Saints non-alcoholic drink company, meaning that's her, her child. And she said, I, all these books were telling me to, become like this or become like that to get what I want. Like what all these things that she had to change about herself to become what someone else would want her to be. And again, this was like the, and I said to myself, I have to mention this to Juliana because I know that, um, and, and uh, she also shared books that she loved, you know, so I thought that was really interesting too, to kind of start thinking about what you read thinking about what's in your library, thinking about how that makes you feel, you know, and she was literally like, you know, it went viral because she was, you know, chucking the books and doing kind of interesting things with them. But um, it did make me think of you. So thank you, Instagram. And uh, wanted to see if you could share a little bit the kind of connect the dots, that moment where you decided, okay, I'm not going to sign this document. I'm changing my life. And I think, you know, it, it relates a lot to kind of your love of literature and what it, what literature meant to you before and what it has come to mean to you now. Yeah, absolutely. So if the moment backstage when I decided not to perform, if that was me drawing my sword for the first time, two years prior I had had um, a really life perspective altering moment as well with my youngest daughter. She had just been born. I have three children. I have a 14 year old son who's taller than me. I have an 11 year old daughter and I have a seven-year-old daughter. So my seven-year-old daughter had just been born. She was four months old, and I was preparing to go on tour. So I was rehearsing and practicing my speeches a lot, and on this particular day, I was nursing her, and I was researching all of these books. I had six books to my name. I had a book called Becoming a Titus II Woman, A Woman After God's Own Heart. I had a Darwin's black box, which was to disprove Darwinism. I had the Bible, and then I had created to be his helpmeet, which will really fuck you up. Don't read that one. (laughs) Don't. Um, So I had those books to my name, and I'm sitting there. I'm nursing my baby. I'm tired. I'm about to go on tour. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like scrambling to find the energy, you know, to do my job. And so I'm looking at all of these books. And in that moment, I think just the combination of having a helpless infant in my arms and reading these books, I started to realize a really consistent theme, which was that all of these books that are addressed to women don't address us until we are married, we have children, we're able to read the word of God, we're able to recite it, we're able to disciple other people. And in that moment, I thought okay, according to these books, my children have no value yet. Like, my girls have no purpose. 
And what if she has a learning disability and can't ever read the Bible, much less understand these very complex dogmas that are apparently required for everlasting life? And what about the girls around the world? And what about this woman? And what about that woman? And what if she has a husband and then she loses him? And so all of, that was like the thread, right? That was the thread that I yanked. That was an oh shit moment (laughs) where the rest of um, my inherited beliefs and my inherited structure of femininity inside my head began to dismember itself. And um, that was when I picked up Plato's Allegory of the Cave. And this began my love of reading and my love of literature. So I picked up philosophy. I read Plato's Allegory of the Cave. That led me to read the entire Republic. (laughs) And then more philosophy, more psychology. I began reading a ton of poetry, um, other world religions. And my mind was just like insatiable. I was just devouring and consuming material I had never had my hands on that was not encouraged for me to read and that I just simply was naive to. So I began to see the ways in which I had um, believed naively, the ways in which I had been used. I don't know that you're going to want me to share this, but I'm going to. Um, I Go for it. <laughs> Since we're being honest, um, I sing for Donald Trump's Uh, National Prayer Breakfast. I was the artist that they had come and sing. And so I began to see as I'm reading modern literature the ways that women are being used to promote politics and the way that this religion is being used to, to further politics. And everything began to just make sense to me and become brighter and brighter. And so it really was that like either my girls have no value or these books are bullshit that really helped me dive into philosophy and and expanding my mind with other literature and different ideas and so the the quote that i lived my life by for the following 6 years was a walt whitman quote and he says reexamine all you have learned in church in school and in any book and dismiss whatever insults your own soul which i think is such um it's such a generous offering to imagine the fact that your proclivity and your bent and your way of living in the world and mine and yours and yours and every single individual in here is different and rightfully so and justly so and beautifully so. And so we're able to read and absorb and reexamine everything that we've been told is the way that you need to be. You know, this is how you should be, right? And we can say, A, don't should on me, first of all. S-H-O-U-L-D, don't should on me. But secondly, I have the power and the permission and the autonomy to self-actualize, to, to breathe in and embrace and devour and then decide for me what fits inside my own soul. What a permission is that? And I just want to dive in for one sec, just to clarify, just marveling that you were not allowed to read those books. So when you decided that you wanted to kind of do this dive outside of the seven books that you were sort of in the mind frame of that you were allowed to read when you started to do this, this was sort of covert. It was covert, you know, it's covert in that no one's actually going to come out and say that. You know, there are, it's too smart for that, right? 
So no one would actually say that out loud, but there would be the warning signs to not trust your own heart because it's deceptive and wicked, you know, or to not trust your own intuition as a woman because actually your proximity to God is in direct correlation to your proximity to a man, right? Which is super convenient for us, <laughs> for them, I mean. And so there were all of these more covert messages, which I think is the, is the power when a woman shows up in her fullness and when we decide to self-actualize, when we decide to reinvent and rebirth ourselves, is not because you're faced with some really obnoxious oppression in that moment or trauma. I mean, there are certainly those, those things for people as well. But in my case, it was subtle. It's a subtlety. So there's a confusion there. But um, yes, to answer your question, I, it was not well received. And so I actually hid my books for a couple of years. <laughs> I was, I was wanting to share that moment. That yeah, I did. Fact. I hid my books. Gloria Steinem was behind my blow dryer. We're Rebecca Solnit was behind we my tampons. You know, the real scandalous ones. I knew where to hide them. Well, I think it's important to share that because it also shows how much we can take for granted for those that, like, you know, I have never felt what you just described. I've felt that I could read whatever book I wanted. And, you know, and then when I hear you kind of saying that you're hiding your books, it's like, well... I have to think about that, you know, like what would, what would bring you to the place that that would happen to you, you know, and how do we relate to one another? You know, again, when you said people might run out of the room and hear that as a Christian pop singer, it's true because we build these walls even between each other based on assumptions that we're making. Um, so I wanted to bring in, you're touching on it a bit in the sense, or a lot, not a bit, about like self-actualizing. And um, I think that's a lot about what, we are exploring with visible women and this kind of funky topic of feminine intelligence and saying, okay, what is this? And, and I'm learning about it as well as we go. And um, there's a, like a little cute moment that I wanted to share and it relates to a few of us here just randomly. There was this, again, talking about the universe or the vibes that the four of us were together and we didn't tell them to sit right there, <laughs> Marianne and Lauren, the four of us were together chatting and um, I, something amazing happened that I wanted to share that I was, I think I was overhearing a bit of their conversation or whatever I was doing. We were in Marianne's beautiful gallery, the Forma shout out. And uh, I hear something about like, someone's talking about being desperate and we're talking about dating or something. And then uh, the comment is made, which I would say is like universally held as true that, well, you don't want to be desperate, right? Like uh, when you talk about those covert messaging, right? So no one sat down with me or my parents didn't say it, my friends didn't say it, never be desperate. Like, you know, there's no, it's not up on the wall. It's none of that. But I think inside of me is always this thing, like definitely, you know, you don't, don't appear that you're desperate. And then I hear Juliana, cut to, I, I hear loud and proud, I am desperate. I'm desperate for love. I'm desperate for, you know, joy. I, and I want to meet someone else who's desperate. You know, and I was like, how does she do that? How did she just do that? We're sitting here. We're just talking. And she says something that I feel inside of me. And I was like, yes, I want to be desperate. I was like, I just chucked out. I'm not going to tell you how many years, but I should tell you how many years of feminine intelligence would tell me to tell you how many years, but many, many years of inside of me not feeling right about that feeling like to avoid being desperate as if that's some some taboo thing 
And I'm with Juliana for two minutes, and she just threw that all upside down. And so I just want to ask a little bit, can we get the secret sauce on, you know, what's the secret recipe to being in just a regular conversation and being able to do that? Because I think it's kind of amazing. Thank you. Um, no, thank you. Sincerely, thank you. Um, wow. So, I mean, it's the truth, right? Like, it's the truth for me now. I'm really desperate. <laughs> I am desperate for knowledge. I am desperate for truth. I am desperate to see the women and the men in this room rally around one another and connect with each other. And I want to know how we can do that. And I want to know how we can lift each other up. And I want to know how we can solidify our unity without requiring us to be uniform to one another. Like, I am fucking desperate to know. I'm desperate to know about you and make what makes your heart soar. You know, what is your, like, what are you here for? We are here for something. This is a desperate thing. We have one amazing, precious, tiny, wild life to live. And I am just starving. I love that. Starved. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Me too. Me too. I think me too. It's um, we don't have to play it small, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I thought about that actually this morning because I was ordering breakfast and I was like, I'll take the two eggs scrambled and then can I have avocado and can I have bacon but crispy? And then you know what? I will take a side of toast. That's true. And they brought everything on its own plate. And my whole little table was filled with all of these plates and my coffee and my orange juice and my water. And I was like, it's about right. <laughs> That's about right. Like I am ready to eat, like consume, be full and show up in the world in a full way so that maybe, just maybe one other person that I walk next to can feel a little bit more empowered to be her fullest and truest and most beautiful self. Okay, cut to another very quick anecdote that I have to share now. So probably our second or third time that we got together, I kicked off the conversation saying that um, I had told my daughter some things and I felt that it was, it was around her dating life and that it was, I was affecting her. Do you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to be influencing her. Again, the, these unwritten rules. Like, I, you know, I'm her mom and she mind my own business and I shouldn't influence her. And, and then... Cut to Juliana. You better hope you're influencing her. You better hope she's listening to you. You better hope that, you know, and I was just like, so again, I think I'm just sharing that to say that it, it does come up all the time. You know, it's not like this big moments. It's sort of all these little things that we say in our own head that we might want to reconsider what we're saying sometimes in our own head. So again, we're going to get into sharing in, a, in about very, very quickly. Last question for me before we open it up to the talking circles that, so cut to you are now writing a book. And I think it's clear from what she shared already that she is sort of, you know, living in her own, on her own terms. You know, they'll probably hear a little bit more about how you got to that place or it would be nice but as before we open it up to share a little bit of how you came to be like, so we talked about books, we talked about aha moments in a way, but you're really living it now. And it'd be nice to just share a little bit how you got there and some of what you had to sacrifice to get there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story of Persephone, but it's sort of a, it's a sort of tried and true metaphorical 
story about a woman who goes into the underworld and then comes back. So now she's in charge of the seasons. So she's like, you know, the goddess of the underworld that's now in charge of our seasons. And I think that nature has this really gorgeous way of reminding us what it looks like to resurrect ourselves, what it looks like to rebirth ourselves, to reimagine who we are. And you cannot get to a spring without the winter. And so when you ask me that question, that to me is, well, what was your wintering like? What was this state of dormancy that appears to be dead, but isn't? She's just gathering her courage and she's gathering her strength so that she can spring again. And for me, it looked like a very dark time. I'm, it was the loss of my family and of my marriage, the loss of my community, my book deal, my job. Um, losing 50% of my time with my children, but I gained 100% of my voice. And that was a trade-off that I was willing to make and one that I would make again. Um, I went through, just to be very brutally honest, um, a pretty dark depression for a time, was really isolated, gained a lot of weight, um, just the trauma of it all. And the, as it goes in American evangelicalism, if you're not repentant as the woman, then they will oftentimes expose you as the woman, um, which happened to me. But, um, you know, my daughter asked me about this the other day, and you could tell, I could tell in her eyes that she had a little bit of shame on my behalf. Like, are we, are you good? <laughs> like, that was a lot. <laughs> Lots of people don't like you anymore, mom, <laughs> you know? that sort of like hesitancy. And I looked at her in the eyes and I said, listen to me, you must listen to me closely, but you will never mourn your mama. We do not mourn your mama. I am my own hero. And I would do everything that I did and make every decision that I made a million times over if it meant having my voice for the first time. And I would hope that you would do the same. And it alleviated her face like, oh, okay, so I I can do this too. And so for me, the finding of my voice did not come without a pretty significant sifting out of what no longer fit within my soul. And I determined that any room or any relationship or any religion or organization that asks me to be someone other than I, who I am, to abandon myself, to abandon my voice, is not for me. When I kind of hear what you're saying, some of it is a bit like, a little bit like superhero like. You know what I'm saying, how do we ourselves in our own lives access that? Because, you know, many people don't want to kind of go in a direction that causes them to have to give up a lot of what they have. You know what I'm saying? So I think there's sort of the, the, the ways that you kind of went about it that were like the daily things that were the small things. And then obviously I think that eventually led to like a much bigger changes and implications. But it's, I think like so much of what you say just inspires me on the normal little things that I do in the day, you know? And so I think it'd be good to like dive a little bit into that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we're born resilient, you know, children, man, woman, how whatever bodily form you've been gifted to carry within you, you're created to be here for a reason, right? And so I really do believe that you will be given everything that you need for what love is calling you to do next. And that's going to look wildly different from my life. I hope it does. You know, there is, that's like the gorgeous beauty of being autonomous and knowing that you are in charge of your own life is that you get to decide 
what you will give up and what you will not give up and, and what is of value to you. What can you, you know, what are you here to offer the world and what do you have to dismiss to get to that? And that's going to look different for each one of us. So I, I think, you know, to use the book in a more poetic way, you might not be hiding your books physically, but what about your mind are you hiding? What about what you believe are you hiding? What about your love are you hiding? And I think it's those little moments of courage where we decide to pull it out from underneath the shelf and expose it and say, this is, this is where I stand, this is what I believe, that um, that courage breeds more courage. And actually, it's very interesting that the part of the brain, um, it's called the SGICC, the part of the brain that actually fires when you're being courageous functions more as a muscle than it does an organ. And so it will, in fact, get stronger. So the more courage with that one small step of saying that one no or that one yes to something, um, your courage will breed more courage within yourself. And so just start small is what I would say. I mean, even um, we talked about a little bit, Kim kicked us off with this about Soho House in that it's about connection. And even, you know, cutting to the beginning of our conversation where, and I think it, it happened a little bit, and I'm so happy to see so many people here because I think, and I mentioned this to you, and, and I love that Juliana's very open to whatever conversation, like throw whatever you want at me, but that it can be intimidating when you see, okay, someone was raised maybe in a different religion than you are or raised with a very different background than you are. And then for me, meaning the first time I said, well, what are we going to talk about or, or what are we going to have in common? And then cut to, it was very apparent very quickly that we had amazing energy and uh, vibe together. And so I, I also think to myself, like, what am I doing to sort of prevent myself from experiences or from people, people that are maybe different than me, people that um, I don't know them or we don't know people in common. I mean, I think that's like a big thing with social media that we're so intent upon only maybe knowing someone that maybe, look, you, you immediately when you look on social media, you say, well, do, do I, are we, are we same, anybody that I know following that person, you know what I'm saying? And then you're like, well, no, you know, click it away. And I think that was something that was, you know, talk about like taking that step which is as ridiculous as it may sound, I, I felt I had to do that even in meeting you, you know? And, and so um, I don't know whether you kind of find, like how do you kind of a, think of that or in terms of you really putting yourself out there and wondering kind of what is this kind of vibe of being able to create connection and transcend those like barriers that we put up? I think it begins with recognizing that we are one piece of a puzzle. And I use this metaphor with my children, so forgive me because it's, you know, for like 14 and younger, but I think it, it works for me in that if love saw fit to fraction itself out in 8 billion pieces, which is the number of human beings on the earth right now, if love saw fit to fraction love's self out into 8 billion pieces, we would each be carrying our own individual piece of that puzzle. Like, we're not the entire picture. You in and of yourself are not the entire picture, nor am I. I, in fact, have one corner, one curved edge. I carry a certain coloring and a certain shape to me in the front. And together, collectively, we display to the world an image of love that we otherwise on our own could not express to its fullness. And so the real work 
is, to me, is figuring out, okay, what is my curve? And where am I bent? And what is my pointed edge? And what colors do I carry? And how do I present myself to the world? And in this respect, it becomes much more collaborative than competitive. We are in collaboration with one another if we're doing it right. We're not in competition. I love that. Um, on that note, at the heart of Visible Women are uh, talking circles. So I hope that you are feeling the ambiance of a circle. That was the intention. And um, I do want to credit Gloria Steinem, who really, she doesn't invent talking circles, but she advocates and speaks about um, how they are a really treasured way to create connection and you know learn from one another. So you have something that you're moved to contribute or if you'd like to say something or again if you want to talk to Juliana or, uh, or anyone in the room about anything. First of all amazing love this whole conversation super great um, but your comment Juliana I actually hadn't heard your story before um, I can relate to it a little bit I grew up in Oklahoma so I totally understand growing up in a very different environment than New York very different people very different viewpoints um, I'm curious, and also Stacey, to your point, things that are ingrained with ingrained in us from a very young age, whether it's religion, the culture you grow up in, whether it's, you know, dating habits like, oh, don't approach a man first, you know, take up less space in the subway. It's not really a man versus woman thing, but just the little things in our lives daily that are ingrained in us. How do you make a conscious effort to, one, really recognize those and then change them on, on any part of your life? Like, are there things that still come up from time to time from, if you want to call it a past life, from before you kind of changed everything? Are there habits that you still see or are there things that you recognize maybe or anyone that has any advice on that of things that you recognize within yourself and what you do to actively say, okay, I'm recognizing this, I'm doing something different about it. I mean, bravo to you, first of all, for being able to articulate that in an honest way, because I think that's half of the problem sometimes is that when we go through a major life shift, we expect ourselves to like, oh, I'm fearless now. Well, you're probably not a sociopath, so you probably still have some fear. <laughs> like, like there is a generosity about and a humility about recognizing um, the fact that this is a journey and that this takes hard work. and. There's a poem by Rumi called Bird Wings, and he talks about um, how a bird closes its wings and then sometimes it leaves them open. And if a bird were to leave its wings open all the time like this, it would plummet to the earth. If it were to have them closed all the time, it would just hop on the ground. It wouldn't actually be able to fly. So I offer myself that metaphor consistently when I'm thinking about entering into a new space where maybe I know that I'm going to be triggered in a certain way or maybe where I know I'm going to be afraid, or where I'm like, oh God, can I be who I am right now? And there's a, um, there is this idea of like protecting oneself and rooting oneself and covering oneself when you know that you need to. Because we can't just walk around like this all the time because it, it just doesn't work. You're vulnerable then, you know? And part of learning to honor and respect yourself and your own transformation is also protecting yourself in environments where that won't be the case. So that um, image helps me. Um, I have a question, sorry. <laughs> Back here. <laughs> um, 
so first of all, thank you guys so much for, for this whole conversation. This has been awesome. Um, Juliana, I guess my question for you is I think that as you know, I, I know if I've felt this and a lot of people in my life have felt this is as you start to grow older, there's sort of this process of, you know, you've learned a bunch of things when you're younger and then you get to a certain age where you're kind of unlearning things and you're sort of understanding maybe the flaws with things that, that you might've felt at one point. And, um, you know, I connected a lot with what you had said about, you know, getting to that point where you started to question the things that you had, you know, believed in at one point. And I'd love to hear more about just kind of what that experience was like for you when you were unlearning things, right? Like, like, was that scary? Like, how did you really go through it in a way that, you know, you were able to, to process, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it really does. Thank you for the thoughtful question. Um, it was quite scary to me. Uh, I had willingly been a part of my job and of this community my entire life for 33 years up until that point. And so um, it was terrifying to be seeking wisdom from the very things I was taught to fear or to be wary of. And so that was interesting um, to open myself up, to open my mind up, to be curious and to be imaginative. And what I kept telling myself at that point of time was, okay, well, if God is big enough, if God is actually God, then God's not going to be afraid of my questions. And so that's, that was like the very cute, like simplistic way that I could rationalize in my mind that, okay, if you are who you say you are, you know, which is how I saw it at the time. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of the journey for me. And then uh, as I began to read, and um, I didn't have anyone to dialogue with at this point in my life. So I, I was truly isolated. I didn't really have a language was the other part of it, too. So there were, it was this whole new world that I didn't know how to speak into yet. I just was really trusting my internal compass, my internal knowing and I, I felt like I knew what love was and I felt like I knew when something was not love. And so there was this very natural push and pull. I was being pushed out by the reality of oppression. I was being pushed out by um, homophobia and um, all, of, all of these ways that racism, all, all of these ways that I was seeing religion being a proponent of it um, I was being pushed out by that. I was being pulled in by the idea of grace. I was being pulled in by the idea of freedom and inclusion and love and collaborative humanity. Um, so literature was so important to me because it gave me that language as I was internally trying to process and unlearn. Um, literature gave me that language. And especially uh, psychology, as well, philosophy and psychology were paramount to me at the time because they were able to really fundamentally say, what is this? Or at least have a curious conversation around it. So does that answer your question? No, it does. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hi. Hi, how are you? Um, this has been so inspirational and women talking has always like brought, brought me so much joy just in general. I guess my kind of question is I have was raised in like the probably the complete opposite way um 
my my parents were always very supporting. I've been like openly queer for a really really long time, and I have some some people in my life who kind of reflect the way that that you were raised. And I guess my question is like how as someone who has been taught so differently, like how can we help women who we who we know are better than the way like they're aligning themselves with? Like what can we do to kind of not that it would be forced in any way, but if you if you kind of see something in someone that they totally don't align with what they're being raised as, like what could we do to to help in that way? Okay, I love her. <laughs> I mean, what a beautiful heart, truly. Like really astounding to be considerate in that way. Um, for me, it was such an indoctrination. It was the only thing I knew. You know, I voted for Trump. I sang at the fucking prayer breakfast. I just said the fucking prayer breakfast. Um, you cannot know that which you don't know. But then once you do, it does become your responsibility. And so, so many women, especially from where I grew up, you know, it's easy to see, it's easy for me now to see the ways that these um, women, just like us, um, could be a part of that system um, because there are genuinely mostly very, very good people on the earth. We're mostly all wanting to do what is right and wanting to do what is good. So to answer your question, a gentleness, um, I don't think that any kind of polarization is ever helpful. You cannot meet dogmatism with dogmatism. So to like, you know, uh, this very kind of crass and polarized way of even politicized way of looking at humanity just kind of does a disservice because it, it, it makes us clam up and fearful. And so we become more, uh, we become less open to dialogue and we become more uh, likely to just kind of hold ourselves up in what we believe because it's safe, you know? So when there is a safety of communication and dialogue with its, if it's a friend, if it's a mother, if it's a neighbor that, you know, is living their life differently than you, just that compassion, um, that they cannot know that which they don't know. And this is why the Plato's allegory of the cave was so important to me, because in the allegory, I'll just really brief. <laughs> in the allegory, there are people chained to the wall in a cave. And this is their entire existence. They cannot move. They can only see the shadows projected on the wall in front of them from the fire behind them. And so they grow up giving names to the shadows and giving meaning to the shadows and ideas to the shadows. And they think that this is the reality because it's all they've ever known. And then one day, one of the prisoners breaks free, is exposed to the light in some jarring way, much like my life, um, has to reorient itself to the truth, to the light, what items actually are. So in a respect, it's not to be pejorative at all, but it is to be um, respectful to realize that so many people, people such as myself six years ago, um, had only seen images on the wall, only seen shadows on the wall. And that was the only relation that I had to communicate. So there's a gentleness and a compassion required when we navigate this life with one another to not make the assumption that we know something that we don't know. 
I had a quick question, uh, just to go back to the beginning of the conversation about Rihanna's pregnancy. I think that at the time, Rihanna was very much criticized for working while she was pregnant and being active while she was pregnant. And there are other women who are criticized for not working while they're pregnant because they're not focusing on earning enough money to give their children the best life possible. And so I think my question here, not just to you two, but I think to anyone in this room is like, how do we go forward knowing that there's this double standard that exists between providing the actual life your child deserves while also giving to that, that to them while you're pregnant and what that looks like and what that double standard means for us? Um, I think there's a lot of double standards. So I think that could be extrapolated a lot, a lot of, along a lot of lines. Um, and I think that's part of this like exploration in general, like even just being here together. And that goes back to what you're saying, like, what can we do? And I guess my answer to that is we could be here doing this. Um, cause I think it, it actually matters. Um, because first of all, I think it just helps to uh, feel in community or feel that, there's a safe place to talk and then maybe have answers or not have answers, you know, but still have similar um, inquiries, you know, just like how does this get reconciled, you know? And I think there are uh, a lot of situations where you're, it's confusing, you know? And I think that um, even, again, I don't have a lot of the answers, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, honestly. So, um, but I think talking about it for me at least helps, you know, when I say, okay, well, you, you try to work through it, you know? And I think actually, uh, I'll do an ode to one of the quotes um, uh, that we had on our little reel, it's not little, but Mae Musk's book's called A Woman Makes a Plan. And um, I think the interesting thing about her, that book is it's really not that you, and I think these are part of the, some of the falsehoods and the confusion. Okay, so make a plan. Make a plan makes you think that there's some grand plan or business plan or whatever plan you can make for your life, and then you follow it. But interestingly enough, in that book, it's more about you make a plan, and then it doesn't work. And you find that out real quick, and then you have to make another plan. And then you have to make another plan. And then you got to change your plan again, and you got to refigure it out and make another plan. And so... Even, you know, maybe a woman has to make a zillion plans or we all have to make a zillion plans because the truth is, you know, we make plans and things change. So I think that, I don't think for me, kind of thinking through what you're saying, whether it's about pregnancy or anything else, that, um, and circling back to Rihanna, I just saw the bravery there, you know? I saw this like, kind of unapologetic bravery that she made a plan <laughs> And she decided that she didn't tell anybody. So she said there was going to be a surprise. And everybody thought that was going to be a surprise guest. So then everyone went ballistic because they said, there was no surprise guest. Well, the surprise was her pregnancy. And again, it was all what she wanted. You know, and it goes back to that desperate. I'm desperate to do what I want, you know. And then what you want changes, you know. So then you have to make a new plan. So I don't know. That would be kind of my fun answers yeah, or like thoughts to share on that. And even that, like I make that mistake because I'm trying to say it isn't really an answer. It's just a thought, you know, and I'm trying to 
unlearn, thank you, tried to unlearn some of the words I choose to use, you know, and some of the ways that I express myself. So um, we're going to do maybe one or two max because we're not leaving. We, we're still here and we can talk and, you know, have time to make sure that we can talk together and that we're going to do it again also on, um, on other nights. So if there, yes, please. And you have a mic, right? Great, Sweeney. Thank you. Firstly, I just want to say, probably speaking on behalf of everyone here, huge kudos to both of you. Thank you so much. It's my first Talking Circle incredible forum. Um, looking at you both, businesswomen and mothers and creators, I'm reminded of Michelle Yeoh, who just won first Asian American woman to win a Best Actress at age 60. And she said, never let anyone tell you that you are past your prime. So I would love to hear both of your thoughts on as we, as women mature and get older and start to think about if we want to reinvent ourselves, how do we push through the societal pressures to sort of crystallize and finalize who we are at X age before you lose your prime? I mean, what is prime? You know, like we get to define that for ourselves. And I have, if I have rebirthed myself, <laughs> I have rebirthed myself so many times. I've got like 12 placentas <laughs> dragging along with me. Like every day is a prime. You know, prime is, your cult, is the culture. Prime is Hollywood. Prime is, you know, Botox, which I love, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> like we decide. We decide who we give our power away to, and we decide if we give our power away to it. And what I can see historically is that the prime number and the prime figure and the prime age and the prime look and the prime life has changed just as swiftly as trends have changed. And so what is true today as the prime will not be true in 20 years. It will be different for my children and for yours if you have any. So. That would be my question. And I'll just share some fun facts. Uh, May Musk is, I believe, 71. Uh, Gloria Steinem, just a few days ago, turned 89. Um, and I think a little bit, and maybe we'll talk about this after and get into it more about kind of the knowing and unknowing. Let's just throw another wrench into that because I think, okay, you can't know what you know till you know it, but sometimes you do know something and you pretend you don't. So I feel like we could keep going with all this for a while, but I'm going to get, this is going to be our last, and then we're going to mingle and chat, and hopefully you'll come again, but hold on. So your story really related to me personally, and I've had similar background and upbringing. Um, and I'm just wondering how you associate and relate to past people in your life that don't have, uh, core values as you currently have. And um, you'll never relate like how you currently do, but how do you, like, what's your way of working with those people and being around them? Thank you for sharing. Thank you. I, that's a hard, it's a hard one. Um, be so patient with yourself, first of all. And I, you know, I have found that to determine really what I want in a relationship to someone else, if I can decide what that is, being fair to my expectations of their capacity, um, 
there's clarity there, first of all. What is their capacity here? And then how do I seek to cultivate that capacity? For me, just a very like uh, tangible piece of advice, when I am with certain people and it's the Bible and it's how could you, I just represented Gucci at the Planned Parenthood Gala last week. So that went over well. Um, <laughs> yes, I did. Um, when they come at me, you know, with their own fear, which is, that's what it is. When they're seeing something that's different, that's challenging, it's their own fear. So when they come at you with their fear, what was vital for me was to say, hey, I could answer that. And I think you and I both know what my answer will be. And I also think that you and I both know it's not going to help our relationship. And I want, and then insert what you want, I want to connect with you to this capacity. And I don't think that answering that question will be helpful. And so being really honest in that way. Um, but I will also say that there's a time when things are so shallow in their roots, meaning that you know, perhaps you're in the middle of this transformation or perhaps it hasn't really grabbed hold or perhaps it's not like down into the, like, the stone yet. <laughs> um, you got to give yourself some time because to put a shallow-rooted plant in a thunderstorm, eh, probably not going to survive. So there's, a, um, there's an element of being kind to yourself and to your own convictions of rooting and grounding yourself first and being protective of her and um, allowing her to root before you can kind of, before I was able to be around certain people. Okay, so we're going to continue, but we're just gonna continue one-on-one -on -one and, and chatting and please stay and enjoy and uh, enjoy one another. and meet someone new and maybe you know, connect or exchange information. This is the right environment to do that, as my friend Kansu told me here, that it's nice to be somewhere where you know everybody else in the room wants to meet you and get to know you. Um, thank you to Soho House. Thank you to the Visible Women team. We have um, Adam and Justin and Mike and Ori. Tomorrow, see you. Thank you so much. Um, Ava and Layla, and it's... You know, I have to thank Francesca, who made this beautiful uh, reel for us of um, inspiration. And uh, thank you to all of you for being here. We have another event in, on April 11th at the Diane von Furstenberg uh, flagship store, a few steps away. Um, so an invite will be coming out. We're going to be talking about women and fashion and art. And I have Marsha, my partner in crime on that, is here, so thank you. Um, I'm putting a shout out to that. Save the date, please. We are already putting together some WhatsApp chats. And for those of you that are part of it, maybe you could share with someone else what, what we're doing. But we're kind of gathering around topics that are of interest and starting to talk to one another, make plans, and having kind of incubating smaller talking circles to maybe lead to more kind of larger talking circles. So if you want to get involved with that, um, at the front, right when you enter, is both um, the Visible Women and my personal like way to DM me and or email and all of that. I'm I'm available, and all of us here are sort of available. And um, I just want to thank everyone for being here, and uh, thank you, Juliana. I think 
again, you are so brave and so honest and so giving. And um, I hope really set the tone, I think, for this beautiful experience. So thank you so much. Thank you.